I remember so clearly uh, my therapist saying to me, Danielle, there's a rip current in your life right now. He said, your life is pulling you in a direction and you are treading water and you are grasping at everything, trying to control it, trying to stop it. He said, if you don't stop and just go with it, you're going to drown. One thing that I've learned in life is when challenges and obstacles come in front of us, they're doing it so we learn. And if we don't learn, the lesson will come again and it will come louder. We will always be with ourselves from the day that we were born till the day that we die. And yet it is the last place that we look for answers. I had a massive identity crisis. Take us back to that moment when you were in the car crash. It's great to have you back for another episode of Opportunity Made, where we share practical lessons to break patterns, get unstuck, and find freedom in business and life. I am your host, Katherine Lewis. If you're new with us, in each episode, my incredible guests and I will bring you empowering insights and easy to understand takeaways you can use to transform your life. You'll learn effective ways to grow as a leader, clear your success blockers, and make new opportunities, giving you a life you love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Opportunity Made Show. This is your host, Katherine Lewis. I am so excited to be here with you today. Thank you for tuning in. We have a really exciting conversation with Danielle Matthews. Danielle is going to share a phenomenal story all about post-traumatic growth with us. So I'm really excited that you're tuning in here today. Danielle, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? I'd be happy to. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think to give everybody a little bit of background, I have a degree in biology. I went to University of Virginia. That's what I studied. But in my early 20s, life took a, a very sharp turn. I was hit by a drunk driver and sustained a brain injury that put me on a very different track. And I was actually told by doctors that it would be my new normal, but it's something that I didn't accept and continued looking, searching for things, finally found a biotech discovery that helped me to heal. And I went on to share that with thousands of people around the world. And over the last eight years now have built up a business that, you know, we did 2.2 million in sales last year. And I look back and I'm just in awe at how life unfolds and kind of prepares us for the next aspects of our lives. But that's the nutshell about me. And you are tuning in from a very special place. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Yes. So I live in Salt Springs, Florida, which is the middle of nowhere. It's a dot in the middle of the Ocala National Forest, but it's a very special place. The Amrit Yoga Institute was founded here, gosh, over a decade ago. I actually don't remember when. And I live right next to Gurudev, who is the the gentleman that founded it. And I was sharing with you, he's nine, he's going to be 91 in a couple months. He met his guru when he was 16 over in India. And he was actually one of the first wave of bringing these Eastern philosophies and yogic philosophy to the West. So he came over in the 60s, founded Kripalu Institute, which a lot of people I think are familiar with up in kind of the Northeast, and then came down here to Florida. So I am very blessed to to live here and to be able to to soak in that knowledge, (laughs) wisdom really, and and be in that energy space. I think it's it's a very, it feels like a magical place here. And we were just talking before the show started about 
the Monday and Friday lessons that you'll receive. And the one today was on that kind of body connection and listening to your body. And I'm curious before going through your very traumatic incident, which we'll get into in a little bit, did you have that same connection to your body? Did you listen to its wisdom? No. <laughs> so I'd say that's actually one of the beautiful lessons that came out of what I went through was finding these philosophies. And it's interesting, you know, the body, what he was talking about today was that the yogis call it the, the feminine energy, the Shakti energy, and that that is the body. And the mind is more of the masculine, the, the Shiva energy. And he says, you know, the mind a lot of times is looking out in the world, looking for completion and, and happiness and to become whole. And it's going out and it's trying to find, you know, the right partner, the right job, the the best pet, like the the right car, like all of these things the mind is looking for. And what the yogis say is that like the mind will never be satisfied because it's searching for happiness in somewhere that it doesn't exist. And happiness comes from communion within, which is communing with the feminine aspect of yourself, which is the body. And that the body has its own wisdom and is always speaking to us. And I've been studying more and more. I just finished a book um, called Body Mind. It is so good. It's talking about how, you know, if we just listen to the body, it's, it's speaking to us about where we're holding trauma, where we're holding emotions. In this book, there's like experts out there that can just look at you. Like they would look at you, Catherine, they'd look at me and they would be able to tell us some of the like, but we would say maybe our deepest, darkest secrets. Like they, they read it because our body holds it. Uh, a simple example is like, you know, if someone is depressed or anxious, you'll see they have a rounding of the shoulders. Like they're trying to protect their heart space. And because they're in that energetic pattern a lot, the body will respond to that. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, every Monday and Friday, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. It is always wise. And it always seems to hit, like each of us leave and we're like, he was talking to me today, right? Like <laughs> that message was for me, but we all receive it. And I think it's because we're all on this same human journey and we're all trying to figure it out. And the Eastern philosophies, I mean, they've spent thousands of years studying like what it means to be human and, and how to get rid of all of the obstacles that we face and, you know, the truths that we can know that can set us free. So I feel blessed uh, to have that and to just get that perspective so often. Wow. That is so cool. Just to take life to another level where you have another source of input and that insight, and you can just listen to what's coming up within, and you're not so much looking for that wisdom in the world, but realizing that a lot of it is already within you. Yes, it definitely is. And it's interesting because like what I appreciate is this, there's also techniques that, you know, he teaches us. So he always leads us through a meditation after. And then I've gone on and done trainings with himself and uh, his daughter, Kamini Desai. I adore her. She has a beautiful way, I think, of taking these Eastern philosophies and saying it in a way that like the Western mind can understand. <laughs> and I've taken with her yoga nidra, which is a guided meditation, yoga therapy, which is a fascinating technique. But all of it is, you know, basically getting out of the mind and into like the being that you are and learning how to aspect the or how to how to access these different aspects of ourself. And it's profound, you know, these tools, they've been like over thousands of years, just perfected to be the answers that so many of us are seeking. And we just, 
you know, growing up in the West, it's not something that we're aware of. And yoga, we think is something that's like, you know, stretching or what I go to the gym for. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not real yoga. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Danielle. And I want to dive into who were you like before 23? Because I know 23 was a huge moment in your life. Hmm. But before that pivotal moment, just tell me a little bit about who was Danielle? Yeah, Danielle was a a doer, an achiever. I was in sports from the age of like eight. So I was a swimmer. I also did softball. I competed in lacrosse, track and field. I was on my golf team. I loved to snowboard as well. (laughs) And yeah, I did. I just like, I think naturally gifted in sports. They always came easily to me. And then in school, same thing. So I graduated, I think I was like fifth in my class from high school, went on to University of Virginia, which is one of our top, you know, public schools here and graduated with distinction from there. I just, you know, I just always had a drive in me to, I don't know what I was trying to do. If I was trying to prove something, I don't know. I just, I was eager to learn, super curious. And yeah, after college, you know, I, I did teach for America, which was something very close to my heart because it was, you know, a chance to give back to kids that, we're starting from a place that, you know, it's like, for those that don't know, Teach for America goes and you you give two years and you teach in a rural or urban area where good teachers aren't wanting to go. And the achievement gap is very, very real. So like I was placed to teach sixth grade math and some of my kids did not understand simple addition, like could not comprehend two plus three being five. Like it just was never never taught. They were kind of passed through. And it, it, it was wild to, to understand that, wow, there's huge, huge gaps in our country and what it means to, to grow up in a place like that. So I was really passionate about my work, worked a ton of hours <laughs> for these kids. And then on the weekends, I was snowboarding. So I competed in snowboarding in college and a bunch of my friends from the team, it just happened that they all moved out to Colorado as well. So we had a place up in Breckenridge in the mountains So we'd be up there on the weekends. And then, you know, I was working during the week and I loved life. Like if you had asked me back then, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, I'd have said like, I'm living my dream. (laughs) I live in one of the most gorgeous places. I'm uh, making impact with my work. I'm having fun. And that, that was me. I realized that you and I did Teach for America in the same city with about a four-year gap in between, but it's it's so wild that you came from UVA all the way out to Denver, and then luckily you got to snowboard on some of the best mountains out there, so I could imagine you were living your best life. Oh my God, I was so spoiled. Like So UVA, because we're like Virginia, was the Southeastern Conference. And it was always such a joke. Like, are there even mountains there? Like, you guys must be just like riding on ice. And yeah, <laughs> we were. So so going out there, being in the Rockies, I just, people would complain about a bad day up there. And I'm like, there's no such thing as a bad day in the Rockies. <laughs> it is always better than the East Coast scheme. So yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And I was out there every weekend, no matter what. Wow, that's amazing. It is such a pleasure just to work with students. I think you and I both have this similar in heart, wanting to bring out the best, wanting to bring out people's potential, wanting to work with those who may not have other people supporting them or who they might be supporting them, but don't have the connections or the resources to get them to that next level. Like just in life, we always need a mentor or a coach or a friend or a teacher who can be there to take us to a certain level. And when they can no longer take us to that level, someone else to come in and like take us to the next level. 
And being part of teaching in the classroom is a really special way to do that for students. Yeah. What, what level, grade level did you teach? I taught third grade my first year, and then we needed a second grade teacher the next year. So I dropped down to second grade, all subjects. Nice. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Those little kids are fun to work with. Yeah, they are. But I definitely know the feeling of just working so many hours. I mean, you do. You just put in a ton of a ton of hours constantly staying after school, coming in early, all those kinds of things, doing parent meetings. I mean, it is really, really tough work to be a teacher. Yeah, it's nonstop. And especially when you've got such a like I had such a gradient, you know, I had some kids that were incredibly intelligent, you know, wanting to start algebra. And then I've got in the same classroom, you know, kids that couldn't do that. It was, it was wild to lesson plan and to also like classroom management, you know, growing up where I grew up, you listened to your teacher. Like it was just like a given (laughs) you went into the classroom and you did not a given there. So, you know, you had to gain the respect of your kids and, and really learn how to, how to manage that. And I mean, some of my toughest were days teaching, but also just like, I don't know, I don't think there's anything that's quite as rewarding where it's like you can see the impact of your efforts. You know, like if I put a lot of time into a lesson plan and then came in the next day with the kids, it always went super well, you know, so it just would inspire me to do it more and more. And yeah, the the testing at the end of the year was always interesting to see, you know, how we were able to pull them up and what we were able to do. And mm-hmm. yeah, but it was a, an intense two years <laughs> for sure. Oh my goodness. It sounds like you had a major gap just in terms of the needs of students and and what they understood and where they were at. And it is, it's hard to be able to customize it and meet those different needs when everyone's on different levels and, and has different capabilities and needs different supports. So I just say, you know, thank you for, for stepping up in that way. And I know that that really comes from a desire to serve and an achiever kind of mentality. But it sounds like you've always worked really hard in everything that you do. Where does that come from? It's interesting. I would say my parents, you know, my, my dad, he was a athlete in college. He played college football, which I think, you know, to work in, at that level, you, you, <laughs> you have some habits instilled within you. And then my mom as well, she was absolutely incredible with everything she's done. She's an entrepreneur. She's like started businesses, sold them. Like she's done so, so well. And I think just being in that environment as a kid and my sister, I'm the, I have one sister, she's older. And she was just like naturally gifted. You know, I always had to work a little bit harder. She just was naturally like everything just came super easy to her. So I was always like the little sister wanted to catch up and, you know, do it too and all of that. So I think it was just the the environment that I grew up in. You know, my parents really, they taught me to discipline myself. I started working as soon as I was able at the age of 16. You know, I had to buy my first car and, you know, it was like, okay, like the clothes you want, whatever, like you're working towards it. And so they just really taught me some pretty basic life skills and, you know, had an expectation as well. It was just always talked about like, you know, what I would be doing, we'd always be talking about the future and what we need to do now to get there. And, my parents were just very goal-oriented people. And so that was instilled within me, which is, was very helpful, I will say. And, you know, I think athletics, I think when you're in sports, it also teaches you a lot about you, especially being in a sport like swimming, where it's very independent. You know, you, you can't really talk because your head's in the water <laughs> and you're going against your own best time. So it's a lot of, you know, you're, you're in your own mind a lot. And so I, 
I spent a lot of hours in that space. And I think that that taught me a lot as well and how to just motivate and push myself without, you know, somebody else being there to do it. Those expectations that were set and, and yes, the pushing towards a goal, which is an awesome skill to have, but also it sounds like maybe there were some expectations. Did that ever make you feel like you have to prove yourself or prove your worth? It's interesting. I think that at the time, and as I was going through it, like, no, it wasn't, I didn't feel that way. I didn't think I felt that way. I was just like, oh, this is what you do in life. You know, I was just like going along with it and it felt really good to like perform well in in sports and to do well in school. And it was like all of this external validation for sure. That all came to like a screeching halt when my car accident happened because all of a sudden I couldn't perform. I couldn't get it. Like I couldn't work. I couldn't earn an income. I couldn't snowboard. I couldn't compete in a sport. I like there was, we were talking about graduate school and it was like, I didn't even know if I'd ever be able to do something like that. And so I had a massive identity crisis because up until that point in my life, Danielle was all of those things. It was all of the achievements. It was who I was in the external world and how I showed up in the world. And so, you know, it it wasn't an issue until it was. And all of a sudden it was like, well, who am I? And it was, you know, people talk about an ego death. I had never heard of that term before, but I understand it. Whereas like I, everything that I identified as and who I thought I was, was removed, like literally had to die. Uh, For me, it was the accident removed it, right? So it wasn't by choice. And then it was just, well, who who am I and why am I here and what am I even doing? And it was questions that I never sat and reflected on because prior to that time in my life, I was always going, going, going. Like there was no time for the internal reflection, which I didn't think was a problem, but now realize like, that's not a healthy way to go through life. (laughs) And there's like, you know, I was a human doing, not a human being, you know what I mean? And I had a whole lot of time to be and to really reflect and to learn a much deeper lesson, I think about why we're here and what's really important. Had you experienced trauma before that moment? Yeah. You know, I went through some intense things when I was a teenager and it was, I mean, I went through a deep depression and this is such a good question. I didn't have the capacity at the time to deal with it. So I was like 14 and, you know, at that time I wasn't emotionally evolved enough to be able to handle what had happened. And it was a sexual assault. And I like just sort of trying to think how I managed it. I think I just sort of like pushed it away. And it was interesting because when my accident happened, that came like raging back to the surface. And so it was this interesting time where I had to, like I was going through the brain injury and trauma, but I was also now like reliving and all of this stuff was surfacing, which I think was such a beautiful gift because it had been within me you know, and it was, I'm sure causing all sorts of trouble in my life that I wasn't consciously aware of in relationships I was in, et cetera. Like looking back with the perspective that I have now, I can see how it was. And I found myself, you know, at a, a psychotherapist. I, I found him because I was trying to get rid of uh, my PTSD. I had around, like if something happened unexpectedly, because my car accident had been so unexpected, I would like freak out. Like I just would have a full-blown panic attack. I'd just start crying. I would go numb. Like, and it was involuntary. (laughs) It would just happen. And so I sought him out because he did something called EMDR, 
eye movement desensitization. I don't know what the R stands for, but you can look it up. Fabulous technique. And we did that around the car accident. And like within, within one session, it like relieved my symptoms because you get to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue was I didn't have control. And so I was freaking out because my brain was like, well, you can't control it. And once it's wild, but once my brain realized, oh, you just can't control these things, the whole thing, like let go incredible technique. But then (laughs) I'm, you know, in his office and more comes out and more comes up. And so we kind of got into all that had happened as a teenager and how I really hadn't dealt with it and, you know, how to process that now that I had the capability to, and I had a professional to help me kind of like through that. And I think, you know, one thing that I've learned in life is we're always meant to like, I believe when challenges and obstacles come in front of us, they're doing it. So we learn. And if we don't learn, the lesson will come again and it will come louder. And I often think that I didn't like, and you know, wasn't able to, I just didn't have the emotional capacity, but I didn't learn a certain lesson in my teens. And so I got a big lesson <laughs> in my twenties where it was like, stop, pay attention. You know, you need to, you need to get into this. And yeah, so it was, it was like a double whammy <laughs> when all this happened when I was 23. What was the lesson? So for me, it was self-worth. It was realizing that I am worthy. I think one of the things that I took in, you know, as a teenager when that happened was that, and I still like, it's interesting to try and rationalize something that can't really be rationalized because it's more emotional. But my, you know, little kid, Danielle, took it in as like, oh, well, I'm not worthy of better. And which is wild to think, but that's how I took it in. And so then relationships, like I can look and I was choosing relationships where, you know, people were emotionally unavailable or, you know, ended up being an alcoholic or like there were several relationships that I got into that it's like, why did I choose that partner? You know, but something subconscious within me was feeling like, well, I wasn't worthy of better. And I, you know, chose and stayed. (laughs) <laughs> it was like, what do you do? And like, eventually I can get myself out of it, but then psh, next partner, same thing. And so, you know, when I was in, in my therapist's office and like having conversations, I think this realization of the self-worth did not come out with him and it didn't come out then. It, it took a lot of time, a lot of my own inner self-reflection, a lot of like looking at the choices I was making and going, why did you just do that? You know, not in a way that like to judge myself, but to go, okay, interesting. Like, why was that instinct there? Where is that coming from? And I started to see this theme and it was, you know, it's humbling (laughs) to like see these like limiting beliefs that are within you because, you know, to the external world, like, like who would, who would think that I didn't think I was worthy of things, right? Because I'm like achieving, but then I think often like, oh, interesting, maybe, I was even more driven in school and more driven in sports because I was trying to establish my worth external because inside I didn't have it. And so it's, it's fascinating to like look back on life with that lens and go, oh, like interesting. <laughs> and thank God I figured it out because that's a big one. It's a huge one. And it sounds like you were developing the muscle of pattern recognition. So it wasn't to judge anything or to condemn anything, but it's just like, why did I do that? Okay. For this reason, when else did I do that? 
oh, here and here and here. Okay, well, why was I doing that again and again? And you go through this whole inner dialogue in this process and start to realize, all right, I have this false idea about myself, which motivates me to behave in this way in these particular situations. All right. Now that I know the next time I come to that situation, the next time that I want to say yes to going out on a date or something like that in the context of relationships, I can check and say, am I doing this because I feel unworthy and I need that person to affirm my worth? Or am I doing this from a place of worth? And I know that this is going to be really good for me. Yeah. It's totally different to be in a relationship. Like the relationship I have now, it's like I was a whole person and he's a whole person. And so like every relationship up to this point, it's like I was using the other person to try and fill the other half of me. And so there was like a codependency and like strange dynamics. And so this relationship is totally different because it's like, I will be fine if you stay or go, which is a very weird space like for me to hold in a relationship because I used to be like, oh my God, don't leave me, right? Like that used to be this feeling I would have. And now I'm like, no, it's just, it's so beautiful. Like it's, cumulative. So now together life is better, but if you weren't here, life would still be really good. Like I would be fine. I mean, I'd have the emotion of sadness to lose that, but it's not that I'm unfeeling, but it's like the, the wholeness I have learned now is completely and entirely within myself. And so many people search in the external world for things. And I think people search, like we were talking about before, like the, the conversation with Gurdjieff this morning, like we're searching in the external world to find something that isn't there. The only place it is, is you just got to turn around and you got to go within. And a lot of people don't like that because you run into the stuff you've held in the closet, right? You run into those experiences, the aspects of yourself that you don't maybe like, or that aren't as pretty. And people have a hard time getting into that. And I think if you do it with non-judgment, and if you just realize, like, I have this on my desk, it's this little like yin yang with the, and they come apart. And I have this because it always reminds me like there's dark and there's light (laughs) and there's, you know, there's what would be perceived as negative emotions and positive emotions. And like, it's all part of one whole. And one makes us appreciate the other one often leads into the other. And like, you have to have that. And the problem we get into is duality where we choose, you know, the good over the bad. And when the bad things show up, we don't want to go there and we try and ignore it. And it's like, this is where we get into conflict. But if we just accepted it as the whole, we'd be a lot better off. (laughs) So that's, that's my constant reminder of like, okay, (laughs) except what's here, it's going to flow back the other way too. And part of that is letting go of control. And you were mentioning that as you were going through some of that therapy and doing that inner work is realizing what came from or maybe what felt the most traumatic of that experience beyond the physical repercussions and the physical experience on the emotional side is losing control. And I imagine that that 14 year old experience came up in that moment too, because that was a moment when I'm assuming you probably didn't have control. Exactly. Yeah. Massive theme you've picked up on. And I think I remember so clearly my therapist saying to me, Danielle, there's a rip current in your life right now. He said, your life is pulling you in a direction and you are treading water and you are grasping at everything, trying to control it, trying to stop it. He said, if you don't stop and just go with it, you're going to drown. And I was like, I can't. 
I, I remember like, I just, I can't let go. I said, if I let go, I'll drown. And he's like, no, <laughs> if you let go, you will flow. And he said, you need to get out of the driver's seat. You need to realize you were never in the driver's seat and you're in the back seat, and that life is unfolding in a way that you need to trust and that everything is actually unfolding for the best. And that it's just, it's going to go in a way that maybe is not the way you want or you expect or the mind, you know, mind, my mind has a lot to say about things. I think all of ours do. And he said, you just, it needs to quiet down and you need to just, just be with it. And it was so hard for me now, much easier with that. Like that was a massive lesson for me, but it's a very difficult thing. I think a lot of us like to almost like try and control life into submission, right? We control the people around us. We say, don't do this, or that makes me feel this way. I don't like it when you do that. You need to stop. And we try and like, you know, make it so that we're comfortable in here. And the reality is like that you're, the uncomfortableness is still there. I'll I'll never forget a teaching comedy Gurudev's daughter taught. And she said, it's like you have seeds in a garden. And when the right weather pattern shows up, those seeds will sprout. And she said, in humans, we have these seeds. There are these like, they call them samskaras in yogic philosophy, but it's like self-worth, right? That could be a samskara or control samskara, right? And so life, the right weather pattern comes, the right person, the boss, your spouse, your child, whatever, a politician, something occurs and like that that seed sprouts up into a weed. And we naturally blame the external thing because you're like, well, I was fine until you showed up. (laughs) So you're the problem. And the reality is, no, the problem was within. And what the yogis say is like their philosophy is that groups of souls actually choose to travel together lifetime to lifetime to create the weather patterns so that you deal with these karmic seeds. And so the family you choose, which I think it's an interesting perspective, whether you believe in, you know, multiple lives or not, but it's an interesting perspective to have to go, okay, so my soul chose my parents and my sister and, you know, all the dynamics that are in my life because they were supposed to teach me these lessons. And they're creating that weather pattern for this to be triggered again and again and again until I deal with it, until I go, that's an uncomfortable seed, like get out of here. And the reality is those seeds will weigh you down. Like energetically, they keep you at a low level. Like my not feeling worthy is a very low vibration. And so life was unfolding in a way for me to realize it. But I, I took some time <laughs> to, like, to catch on to the lesson, you know, that life was trying to teach me. But once you start to relieve these things, you realize like, man, every interaction, it's, it's internal. Like I get to choose how to interact and react with life. And like life is constantly giving me these lessons. And I say all the time, like the triggers are the teachers, like whatever is triggering you is actually teaching you and express gratitude. Like, thank you so much for showing me that that was within me and that I now need to go work on that. How did you heal that need for control? You said that you're so much better with it now. What did you do? Well, life forced me because of my accident. I, for a year, you know, I was like pushing. I was so committed that I was going to be getting back. Like I was telling my friends out in Colorado, like, oh no, no, I'll pay for part of the like condo up in Breckenridge. And they're like, no, Danielle, (laughs) you're not going to be snowboarding this winter. (laughs) They knew I didn't. But again, I was trying to like 
like keep all the pieces together, you know, and a year in, uh, it was bad. I mean, I was depressed. I was anxious. Every moment I would think about the past, I'd, I'd start crying. If I thought about the future, I'd have a panic attack. And I sat in my doctor's office at my one-year appointment. And he said to me, Danielle, with your type of injury, your body's done all the healing that it's going to do. And he said, you know, you need to just accept this life as your new normal. And you need to shape your life around your symptoms and you need to move on. And in that moment, my higher self kind of came in and said, that's not going to be a reality. Like, don't accept it. But it made me have this reflection of like, okay, I cannot will myself. I cannot control anything in my life to make these symptoms go away. Like they're here. And so I just said, all right, if the external world is showing up in this way, I need to accept it. And I need to figure out how I want to be with it so that my reality is one where I can have joy and happiness and I'm not depressed and I'm not anxious. And so it was this, I realized that there was things that I did have control over and things I didn't. And that the things I did have control over were actually very small. And I just forced myself into that space. And I just kind of relented and said, oh my God, like the world is going to show up in the way it's going to show up. What I need to master is my own mind and my own emotional state and to figure out how I want to interact and be with the things that are showing up so that my reality is okay. And this equation, it's something I talk about in my ebook because I think to me, like this is the essence of life. This is one of the the biggest lessons that came out of my uh, brain injury was realizing like, The external world plus your internal response equals your reality. And the only thing you have control over is the internal response. And so you make your reality. I don't care what shows up. It's like, you know, you have an alcoholic father father with two kids. One never touches alcohol. The other one becomes an alcoholic. And you ask them both, like, why are you the way you are? And they would both say, well, look at who my father was. (laughs) And one had the internal response of like, well, I will never touch alcohol because look what it does. And the other one was like, well, of course I'm going to become an alcoholic. Look at my example, you know? And so very different realities, but they chose it. It was an internal response to the external world. And I think a lot of people, myself included, find themselves in a victim mentality a lot. And I just, it's a disempowered place to be. And I found it very empowering to actually release the things that I had no control over and to accept it and then to go, okay, but I got me, (laughs) you know, I can, I can be within myself and decide, you know, what emotions I'm going to let be expressed and that kind of thing. So it was, it was not overnight. It was a, it was a work in progress for a long time. And by no means have I mastered this. I think that's, you know, part of just being human is we've got to constantly re-remember these things. But that's how I got there. It sounds like you were weeding your garden, downsizing a little bit and planting different seeds, the ones that you could control, the ones that you had pre-identified and knew what was going to grow from that. Well said. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And I used, I used Yoga Nidra, which is a guided meditation to help do that because in that, I like this type of meditation because they use intention. And when you're in the depths of a yoga nidra, like the brain, the consciousness, it becomes like fluid where you can actually insert a new idea. And, you know, in our waking state, it's like our consciousness is like ice, like it's hard to change. 
But in a meditative state, it's more fluid. And so I inserted the intention, I am open and patient. That was just my mantra. And it really, I mean, it showed up everywhere, like with my physical symptoms, like I'm just going to be open to how I'm feeling and patient as my body heals, you know, and it was beautiful to watch how just the peace within me was able to start to just grow. And it was like, yeah, I'm actually okay. Cause I chose to be okay. <laughs> you know, I chose to be open and I chose to be patient and that was massive for me. And honestly, I believe is what set me free from it. And it was like, I think when you pass the test, you're ready for the next level of life. And that was the test for me was, can I release? Can I let go? And I did. And the answer to my physical symptoms just like came in literally a phone call from an acupuncturist called and said, I've come across a biotech discovery and I think it's the answer. (laughs) So it's kind of wild to see how life responds to us and the, the vibration that we hold and what we emanate out in the world makes a big difference. Okay. So I want to take this to places because you just mentioned that you just get some out of the blue call, it sounds like, and all of a sudden this takes you on a total different journey. But I also want to know what that night was like. So before we proceed further in your journey, take us back to that moment uh, when you were in the car crash, what was happening right before and just walk us forward from there. Yeah. So that, I mean, it was like a normal day in the life of a 23 year old. I'd gone out uh, the night before for one of my best friend's birthdays. We were out in Baltimore city, stayed out, you know, partying, having fun. He was turning 24 and spent the night. And then I woke up early. I had to move my car by 7am. I remember where I had it parked and I had to meet my parents to go to a, a wedding. And that's what I was doing. So I got up, got in my car, was headed out of the city And it was, you know, early, early on a Saturday morning, like not many people were out there, but there was actually a group of runners that happened to be on the street and saw the whole thing happen. But from my memory, it happened like that. But I remember seeing this car, you know, kind of coming across the midline and thinking in my head, like, oh, they're turning, you know, but then he didn't turn. And I thought, well, maybe he's swerving around something. And I look in the lane and like, there's nothing in the lane. And there's parallel park cars, like we're in the city. So like, there's not much space. And I remember like looking up at the driver, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Where are you going? And he was completely passed out, like head slumped. And there was just nowhere to go. No reaction time. I mean, you don't think to swerve towards oncoming traffic. And I couldn't go that way because there was a car parked. And yeah, he hit me head on. So it's just a normal morning. You know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Wasn't doing anything different. And it's, it's it's wild because it always just every year it's this happened June 23rd of 2012 every single year on the 23rd of June doesn't matter where I am what I'm doing it's like I wake up that morning with this visceral reminder that tomorrow's not guaranteed and like it's like a check on my life like well, what are you doing <laughs> you know are you living with purpose are you remembering the things that you learned through this journey And it just like resets me. It's probably like New Year's for people that take New Year's seriously. Like, oh, it's a new year. What am I doing? It's like that for me, but but deep. And yeah, I mean, I didn't think everything changed that morning, Catherine. Like, quite honestly, I walked out of the car. They had to help me out. Like, 
these runners like came over and they helped get me out of the car. But I was walking. I appeared fine. Frankly, I looked like I look right now. You couldn't tell something was wrong other than I kept saying that I felt really out of it and took a month to get a diagnosis. I kept being told I was in shock, that you know, nothing was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then finally got the diagnosis of a, a mild TBI, a mild traumatic brain injury, which I forever and always will say is one of the biggest oxymorons in the English language because there was nothing mild about it. But on the scale of brain injury, I was fortunate that I didn't have a bleed and I wasn't in a coma and I didn't have to relearn to talk or walk. But, you know, the symptoms were enough that I, I couldn't work. I mean, I couldn't go back to the life I had known. There's so many things about that that just make me want to extend the silence and just sit in that because I, frankly, I love that it's a story of a normal day because it would be one thing if it wasn't and people could say, oh, well, that, that just happened to you. It's because you were doing this crazy thing or this stupid decision or whatever, but it wasn't. It was just another day another ray of sunshine, you know, another breeze, like there's nothing different about it. And yet think of all of the different factors that had to come together. That person had to be out the night before they had to leave wherever they were coming from at the moment that they did. They had to have that certain percentage of alcohol in their body to then cause them to pass out or, you know, whatever it was, they had to be on that specific street. When you were on the specific street, you had to leave at that specific moment. There had to be parked cars. So you couldn't, I mean, just every (laughs) thing and it had to be you. It could have been someone else who was driving down that road instead or no one. I mean, how does that all sink in when you think about all those factors and that this was part of your story, part of your life? I I have chills. What a good question. I truly believe that my soul chose this journey before I arrived here. And I don't know how to put it any other way. Like I believe that that obstacle was put in my path at the exact right time, at the exact right moment, because that was what my soul had asked for in this lifetime the lessons to learn, and also to put me on the trajectory I was supposed to be on to be able to help other people and live more in my purpose of, you know, why I came here. When I was teaching, you know, I was helping, yes, like, and I was helping kids, but there was more. And I, you know, had never questioned the other aspects of life and what more there was to life. And it's like that accident woke me up. You know, I, would call it a spiritual awakening where it just made me realize the deeper things that exist here on this planet and the bigger picture, right. As to why I'm here and why all of us are here. And, you know, has, it's allowed me, it's interesting because watching how, you know, life unfolded since then, when the pandemic set in, I remember joking with my sister, like, Oh, now you all get to live how I have been living where like, I couldn't go out and it wasn't by choice and I couldn't see friends. And like, you know, and I started laughing at her. I said, give me a break. Like, at least you don't have a brain injury. Like (laughs) you're, you're healthy and you're feeling good. And you're just at home. Like you're fine. And it was, it was, it was funny to be able to laugh at that, but I just thought, wow, you know, I'm in a position to help a lot of people through something that I've been through before, like what it means to be isolated and like, you know, what you can do. And I, I was leading a team of people at the time and, you know, was able to support them in big ways. So 
Yeah. When I look at all of those things, I think it had to have been by design and there's no accidents in life. Like I don't believe in coincidences. I think everything is always unfolding from who we meet, when we meet them. Uh, I look at life in that way now because I just, I can't possibly think of any other way. Like nothing else makes sense to me when I look at it. So in your journey to recover, you get the call and all of a sudden get introduced to something that might help and change that prognosis of, hey, this is just the way that it is. Get used to it. And you didn't have to get used to it. So tell me what was said on that call. Yeah. Well, what she basically said, she talked to my mom and what was relayed to me was basically this breakthrough has occurred. She's using this in her practice. It's helping every client. It's helping all of them differently. It's restoring the communications of the cells to be able to do what they're supposed to do and to detect damage and repair. And she said, you know, it's helping some with hormones. It's helping some people with liver stuff, lung stuff. She believes it'll pass the blood brain barrier and help you. And I honestly missed it. I was like, this sounds ridiculous. It sounds too good to be true. Like, I think this lady's caught up in maybe some scam or something. Like, I don't understand how there could be something that exists like this. Like the biologist in me was talking. And I also had gotten to a point where, not that I had lost hope or I wasn't optimistic, but it was like, I had tried so many things. I was over a year and a half since my accident. And we had tried a litany of things to help me and none of them had worked. So the idea of yet another thing that to me sounded crazy, I just thought, I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm not up for it and I'm not doing it. And thank goodness, my mom was like, well, I bought it. <laughs> she said, I'm going to take it. If you're not going to drink it, I'm going to drink it. So my mom starts using it. And my mom had had uh, bone on bone in her like top knuckles in her hands and she couldn't make a full fist it was so painful to watch. And like, thank goodness I was home because like I would chop the vegetables at night, you know, for dinner because I could grip a knife and she couldn't. And within six weeks, she got full range of motion back in her hands. And I could see like a reduction in the redness and like, you know, they didn't even look painful anymore. And I was like, it's gotta be a placebo. Like my scientific little mind couldn't comprehend that she could drink this stuff and it would do that. And I'm like, what? But my dad, he went, well, if it can help her, let's see if it can help me. So my dad had ended his college career of football because he had ripped uh, his ACL. And back then they couldn't fix it. So he's never had one. It's always been torn. He's always had just residual stuff with his knee. So he starts using this. It's liquid you drink. And I think it was 10 days into using it, he was running without his knee brace on. And I was walking the dog and he ran up to me and he's like, Danny, look, you know, and I'm like, what am I looking at? And he says, I don't have my knee brace on. And he goes, I feel like I'm 30 years old. He said, I got so much energy. This stuff's amazing. I'm not sore after my workouts. I'm running further. I don't need the brace, all this stuff. And he's like, I got to do some research on this. So my dad gets more analytical than my mom, right? My mom's very intuitive. So my dad starts doing like massive research. And it turns out this is a huge field of science called redox signaling. He comes back to me and he says, you didn't learn about it in school, Danielle, because it didn't exist in the textbooks then. He said, it's too new. And he said, I've learned that this stuff cannot hurt you, that it might help you. And uh, your mother and I are going to pay for it for six months and you're going to drink it. (laughs) So It was kind of like they forced my hand in doing it. And I said, all right, if you want to waste your money. I mean, it's so funny, like looking back, like I had the answer basically being served to me on a silver platter and I just like couldn't see it. 
But thanks to them, I started using it and it was not immediate, but it was about three months in uh, the pounding that had been relentless in my head for two years. And it has never come back. I started to be able to concentrate again. I started to have energy again. I wasn't having to nap. I was usually napping like every couple of hours, no naps. And, you know, I was still sensitive to noise and light, but those things, as I stayed on the product, they went away. Like it took over a year, but they went away. And I've been told like permanent lifetime of this, you know, and they vanished. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it rocked my world, changed my world. And I'll, I'll never forget my cognitive therapist. You know, I was seeing her weekly. So she was watching this progression and she said, Danielle, I have worked with people with your type of injury for 30 years. And I've never seen someone have such a rapid recovery so far out from the initial trauma. She said, with your type of injury, like it just, it just flat out doesn't happen. And she said, what the hell is that stuff you started drinking? And I had to laugh because I said, I have no idea. I said, it sounded like salt water to me. I said, I've got no idea what this stuff is. It's called a SIA and it's something called redox. And <laughs> she said, well, we got to figure it out. And that it's interesting because that was an inflection point in my life where because she she was like the catalyst. She was like, well, my, the other people that I work with with brain injury and stroke, they need to know about it. And I thought, yes, of course. Yes, they need to know about it. And so we got in touch with uh, a gentleman that was on the medical board of this company, ASEA. His name was David Silverman. And he got on the phone with my therapist and with me. And we got to listen to we got to listen to him basically explain what this was, how it worked. And he was like, not blown away by my response. He was like, yeah, of course. Like how long did it take and how much were you drinking? And as I listened to him speak, it was like my mind, just the potential went off. Right. Because I understood what he was saying from a biological perspective. And then I thought, wow, like the possibility for this to impact plants, animals, and people, if everything he's saying is true, it's just massive. And I, I remember my cognitive therapist started using it. I went in and like, we did like a little demo and shared it with all of our other clients and the support group. And it, it was the catalyst for, you know, what I've gone on to create and do. That is amazing. I mean, really just, just that they had never seen transformation like this. And then all of a sudden, it is just, I mean, it's helping your mom, it's helping your dad, it's helping you. I love that your family just jumped in and they're like, well, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it. <laughs> and I love Yeah, absolutely. It is nice to have people in our lives who, you know, even if we're a little bit resistant, they have that third party perspective and can see what we yeah. need or at least care about us enough to, to kind of say, hey, give this a try. And so because it had such an impact on you, I think because of your interest in serving and helping others, that led you into like this whole unexpected career path. For sure. You know, and it's funny because my mom saw it before I did. Because I, as I started to get better, it was like I started to be able to hope again. You know, like, oh, like, well, what do I want to do in the world if I, if I have my health again? And I allowed myself to start thinking. And I kept saying to my parents, like, I don't want to go back to a nine to five job. And they were like, why? And I'm like, it's not secure. Like for me, when I couldn't work, I couldn't earn money. And it was like, I couldn't unknow the fact that if I lost my health again, I would lose my ability to earn. And I never wanted to be in that situation again. 
And I said, it's just, it's not secure, which was kind of like mind boggling for them because they're like, that's the most secure thing there is, you know, like if, well, if you're not going to do that, what are you going to (laughs) do? And, and I kept saying to them, like, I need to have purpose. Like I, tomorrow is not guaranteed. I need to do something that is going to make an impact in this world and that I'm going to be happy doing and that I'm on living life on my terms, you know, because this is the run that I get at this life. And so I want to not be dictated by, you know, this many days of vacation and all that crazy stuff that I was watching all my friends, you know, have to deal with. And my mom said, Danielle, do you realize that the ASEA is coming to market through word of mouth? And I was like, what does that even mean? And she said, network marketing. And I said, isn't that that sleazy thing? Like those pyramid schemes? Like, what are you talking about, mom? Like you've lost your mind again. And she's like, no, 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 Danielle. Like, you obviously don't understand what you don't understand. Like, you don't know what you don't know, I think was the language she used. And she said, come to this event. It'll give you a a different perspective on what this really is. So I went to an event where the founder of this company was speaking. And I had goosebumps from head to toe for eight hours as this man spoke. And he was talking about the ethos, the soul of what they were doing. And he talked about how a pharmaceutical company had tried to buy this and shelve it back in 2008. He said, we want this to be in the hands of humanity. This is life-changing and life-altering. And I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, it like altered the trajectory of my life. And he said, we need voices out there educating. The only way it gets to market is if you tell somebody. And I went, oh, I've got a degree in biology. I, I get the science. I was taught how to educate through Teach for America. And I know this stuff works because of my own journey. And I went, it was like, you know, such a clear, like, this is what you're supposed to do. So I moved to Florida because the guy I was dating at the time was in Florida. And I started this business, which once I got down here, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm an introvert. I, I don't know anybody. How do you like share something when you have no one to talk to? Like, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> It was a a wild journey of having to learn entrepreneurship, but there was that voice inside of me that kept saying, this is it. Like you're going to have purpose because you're going to help others. And like, you get to do this as you want, when you want. And Hey, if people buy from you and they like it, they're going to keep buying from you. And so if something happens to you, they're still going to make their purchase. Like it has nothing to do with you. And it was just, it was hitting all of the, you know, checking all the boxes of what I was looking for except that I had no idea how to make it happen. And my friends, other family members, my parents were very supportive, but other family members were like, she's lost her mind. Like my friends are like, you need to go to grad school, Danielle, like get back into the world. Like, what are you doing? The brain injury is behind you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm never going back to that world. (laughs) It doesn't exist. So it was, you know, mentally challenging to have to like be, be told that by people that loved me. And by all the training I'd gotten, right? Like at school, they basically taught me how to get a good job and that that's what you should do in life. And, you know, my my heart was saying, nope, that was an interesting beginning. But once I got through that and I started to learn the skills of being an entrepreneur and kind of guiding my own choices in life and business, you know, one thing led to another and people started to use the product. And then I found people that were interested in also sharing it with people. And that has now stretched. It's been eight years that has now stretched literally around the globe. I have people I work with in Australia. I've worked with people in Singapore, over in the UK, all across the US. And it's just like, I look back and go, man, it's wild because it was just one decision I made um, to listen you know, to, to my heart. 
and to follow it. And it's made a crazy difference. And it wasn't easy. It was like so difficult. <laughs> but, you know, when I look at the impact, the ripple effect that it's had, it's like it's worth every every hard day. What's so fascinating about this story, Danielle, is you painted the picture, okay, biology, education, personal experience. But the other piece of this is you said, I had everything but the how. Well, when you're an achiever, when you're ambitious, when you are a performer because you're trying to gain that worth, as you described yourself earlier on in life, you need that structure. You need the rubric. I need to know how do I get an A in your class? I need to know how do I become valedictorian? And that's laid out for you by the institutions and society and structures and all of that. Yet here you are at this moment where you're like, okay, everything makes sense, but I don't know how. And I could see you leaning into that. Now you are empowered to lean into that because of the traumatic experience you had and all that was brought up around your worth and around that that hole that maybe was trying to be filled, whether it's independently, through accomplishments, through relationships, all of that. I mean, this is wild. Yeah, such a beautiful insight, Catherine. (laughs) It was, it was a totally different space to be in. And then to have like society basically laugh at this profession, like the profession of network marketing is probably one of the most looked down upon things out there. And to just be like, to be, to to say, well, you guys are wrong. Like, it's like telling there's a hundred people in the room. I'm one of them. And like 99 of them are saying like, that's stupid and it's wrong. And like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, actually all 99 of you are wrong. Like it's a very strange space to be in, to like, to see the truth, to know it in my being, to have all of this external stuff saying the exact opposite, very odd space to be in. And also for me, it was that flow with the river. You know, it was like, well, now I'm going to live what I what I learned and trust that the doors are going to open and the right things are going to happen. And it was crazy. Like, let me tell you this one story. I went to figure this out. I Googled networking. Like, how do you network? (laughs) I wanted the rubric. (laughs) How do I do it? And what popped up was a, a group called Business Networking International, BNI. And they were meeting in my local area like the following week. So I signed up to go. And I walked in the door and I you know, there was, it was called a visitor host was there to greet me. And I said, I'm Danielle and I'm with Asiya. And he said to me, oh, I know Asiya. And I was so taken aback. And now to put this in perspective, I went to hundreds of networking events after that one. Not a soul knew about Asiya at any of them that I went to. This man, first one I meet, knows about it. And he says, do you have a team around here? And I said, no, I'm by myself. And he said, my wife and I are also in network marketing. We're in the financial sector uh, with a company called Primerica. And he said, we train our team every Saturday and you are welcome to come and you can just take what we teach and you can apply it to your business. And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, just show up. So I showed up. (laughs) And I think his wife at the beginning was like, why is she here? But they became just the most incredible mentors, coaches, friends of mine, they taught me what I needed to know that I could then go and apply into like how it related to my world. And that was, don't worry about the how, get into motion. Like that is one thing that if you're clear on what you want to do, I have learned now that we co-create, like there is a divine force 
you can put your name on it that you want, God, the universe, source, whatever. I call it the divine. There's a divine force that's out there that will co-create life with you. And if you take a step, just know that before your foot hits the ground, how you're going to take the next step will become clear. And you just, you can't steer a parked car. So most people are like waiting for it to show up in their life, you know, what they're supposed to do. And I'm like, no, no, you just need to go get into motion. And as soon as you are in motion, the connection will happen. The thing will be heard on the radio. Like you'll see the sign, like it, it will occur. And my journey in business has been exactly that. And that's just one story of so many <laughs> how the right people entered, the right things occurred. It was just like, you know, having to release the how. Like your job is not to know the how. Your job is not to know when something happens. Your job is to know what you want to do and to get into motion. And everything else just, it works out. And the Danielle before the accident would have said you were nuts. And the Danielle now is like, that's the only truth there is to life. <laughs> Trust me on it. Don't go through the hard things. Just accept it and see that work for you. <laughs> you said something so profound that I absolutely have to reiterate. He extended an invitation to you to show up. And the thing that you said is, and I showed up, right? Mm -hmm. He created this opportunity for you to come that could have stopped when you said no, or said, I'm not going to do that, or I don't belong there, or I'm nervous about that, or what are they going to think of me? Mm -hmm. And instead you said, okay, I'm going to go, let's do this. And from there, it's like, that is the first rock that hits the windshield that leads to this entire branch of <laughs> breaks the rest of the way down, like that opened up everything else. And then you've had, you know, eight very successful years in this. I love that you created that opportunity. You made that opportunity by just saying, yes, I'll show up. And I just want every listener to know that that is such a key moment in life when we have that intentionality, when we are that accountable to ourselves and the way that our life unfolds. Because sure, you could have said no, and maybe you'd have another opportunity just as we were talking earlier. You know, if you don't listen to the knocks, sometimes the knocks will get louder, but they'll keep coming. But but why wait, right? Just, just kind of stop, slow down and listen to life, listen to your body, observe what's happening around you, within you and say, okay, what can I say yes to? What opportunity can I make here? rather than kicking the can down the road. So I just love that so much that you showed up. Yeah, well said, because I had actually committed to myself that I was going to give my business a year to just go all in. And I said, I will say yes to every single opportunity that gets put in front of me. I'm just going to say yes, because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, so I thought, well, <laughs> I just got to say yes and figure it out. And so I was just in the spirit of exactly what you just said. And it made all the difference. And I watch so many times. I watch it with my team members that I coach. I watch it with people that, you know, are dealing with a health issue and I have a solution and they don't say yes because they get in their mind and they get worried. And I'm like, look, a yes means you're just going to walk into the room. It doesn't mean you're going to stay. It doesn't mean you're stuck there. It just means that you understand now what's behind that door and you can go, mm, this one's not for me. And you leave. <laughs> or, or you go, wow, like there's a carnival happening in here. I'm going to stay. And if you never say yes, you'll never know. 
And so I agree. It's one of the biggest lessons in just life. Say yes to life. Like there's the, what that movie, Yes Day, right? Where they say yes to their kids. And I thought, what a beautiful concept. <laughs> because, you know, you just let it unfold. Like we're so used to saying no, or we're in this like fear state or, you know, we're so just nervous about everything. And we just want like, we're just trying to stay safe and make sure it's all okay. And we're so in this like narrow lane. Stop say yes to the next thing, say yes to the invitation, say yes to the, you know, person that wants to talk to you about whatever thing, like who knows where it's going to lead. And you, again, you don't need to stay in the room. You just can walk in and go, all right, thanks for letting me know. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that because we can so often get stuck. I know for myself with fear, wanting to control things, needing to have the perfect structure, needing to have it all planned out and, and guarantee that some outcome is going to happen. But as you were saying before, just get into action. Most things in life we cannot control. We can't control other people. We can't control the weather. There's so much. And once you get into that flow, you're like, great. I recognize now what it is, but I can say, yes, I know I know what my role is in this. And so let me at least own that. And then let's just see where this thing goes. And if I don't like it or if I become unsafe, I can change it in that moment. So I become safe or I become comfortable again. Like that is the dance of life. Yeah. And people need to trust themselves. I think at least this was my experience. I I didn't have the self-confidence to know that I could show up into any moment in life and it would be okay because I was fully there, you know? through my accident, I became so much more aware of myself. And with that self-awareness has come just a beautiful confidence where I don't care what situation I get put into, what phone call I'm on, whatever. I just, I show up fully as me knowing, well, I'm just going to navigate this as best as I can. And I think a lot of people, they don't have that confidence. And it's interesting because the only way to gain the confidence is to go do the things. (laughs) And then to realize like, what do they say? Fear is just false evidence appearing real. Like all this crazy chatter in your head is not legitimate. You know, I just like, I used to think that, oh, I couldn't talk to people. Like I used to be a wallflower before my accident. It was like a party. I was like, you know, on the outskirts, I was definitely not the life of the party. Like, no. So when I had to network and I had to go to parties of like a hundred, you know, and go into the room, not knowing anybody and be there for a couple hours. I remember vividly the first one I went to afterwards, I sat in my car and I was like shaking. Like I couldn't drive. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was so out of my comfort zone. But that that guy that I met, his name's Greg. Greg had said to me, Danielle, the secret is going to be get comfortable being uncomfortable. And he said, if you can get comfortable being uncomfortable, the world is yours in this business. And so I remember sitting in the car being like this most uncomfortable feeling ever. <laughs> I said, okay, I got through that. I called a friend to like talk about something else. I got through that. And then I showed up you know, the next day at another event. And then it got easier and easier to the point where then I started to love it. Cause it's like, wow, there's like some divine appointments happening. Like I'm meeting some amazing people and I'm helping them. And it's like, I had the right thing that they needed. And if I hadn't showed up, shown up, excuse me, I wouldn't have been able to, to help them. And I thought, get out of your own head, Danielle, because you have, you need to be of service. You have something of value to offer. And it was, you know, knowing that, knowing that I had the ASEA, that if I didn't open my mouth, someone could suffer, that I just, I put my own chatter away and I just, you know, stayed on that purpose and through that gained my confidence. But yeah, it was a, it was a rough start. Well, it's so true though. It's not only 
uh, a harm to ourselves when we let fear stop us, but it harms everybody who needs us. And that's not like a guilt trip. That's just saying we need each other in this world, not only to reflect back to each other, maybe areas of growth. Maybe we have information, we have connections that we, that other people need from us. And so once we can do exactly what you said, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that advice from Greg. Then that's when the whole world opens up. We gain that confidence and people can start to heal. Um, I remember when I was working with a, a coach who was helping me run my nonprofit, we work with young students healing intergenerational patterns of trauma. And she was saying, you know, how long are you going to wait? How long are you going to let these people suffer because you're afraid? And I was like, oh, yep. that hurts. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> Yeah. So it matters when, when, especially, I mean, we have this one life and to be able to serve someone else is such a privilege in my opinion. And especially if you know that that's your calling and you have a heart for service, we have to be strong and work through these other things and not let them keep us from serving others. And that's something that I know myself I've struggled with. So the struggle is real, but we have to go and do it anyways. Yeah. And the other side is amazing. Like I, I'll, I'll tell my team because I coach them through the same scenarios. I'm like, you know, you're, there's going to be a moment where someone's going to get mad at you because it took you so long to tell them that you knew about this. And I've had those scenarios happen where like their friend actually says, why didn't you tell me about this a year ago when you learned about it? Like, you know, and their only excuse is, I was afraid you'd say no, you know, and they realize how crazy their own mind is, but you know, you will get paid in goosebumps. When you get out of your own way and you become of service and you help and you share the valuable knowledge that you know, it will come back to you in ways that like, yeah, money will come. Yeah, like those things happen. But the goosebump moments of like, wow, like I shifted that person's world because I showed up and I got out of my own way. Like it just propels you to want to do it more and more. And those are the moments that I like. I just I love them when it happens with my team and the people I coach because I say things like what your coach said to you and it, it shocks them. And sometimes, you know, people, my team will get angry at me because I'm like this mirror of reality. And I always tell my team, there'll be a day that you meet yourself in the mirror and you're going to have to ask yourself, are you willing to go through the discomfort <laughs> to be able to get the things that you're wanting? You know, are you willing to do the things to, to achieve that? And it, it's not going to happen easily. If it was easy, everybody would do it but it's not easy. Most people aren't willing to do it, you know? So it's, uh, I, I love the way that your coach phrased that. <laughs> it's reminiscent <laughs> of many conversations I've had. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a, a big, oof, man, that's a, that's a punch in the gut moment for sure. But you have to, you have to take in the truth and realize that you are holding back a whole lot of good from hundreds mm -hmm. or thousands or maybe even millions of people just because you're afraid. And in a way, that's a little bit of selfishness. Honestly, that's what I've had to come and realize is I'm selfish when I do that. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I have to get up early in the morning for myself, I'm hitting the snooze. If I have to do it for someone else, I will get up and I will work a whole lot harder. I'll do whatever needs to be done when my heart and my focus is on someone else. So I think that's another great way to just kind of get out of yourself and go do those things you may be afraid of is do it for someone else, you know, if not yourself. Yeah. When you have a bigger purpose, it, it moves you. And that's what, you know, 
like being, like I said, being part of a SIA, like having this purpose of knowing like, wow, this can change someone's life. And I know about it. And that knowledge is power. And, you know, it's only a gift if you give it. So you, you got to get into motion. And it's pretty interesting. I was just reading a Wayne Dyer book. I run a book club. We meet on like Mondays. And in the, in one of these chapters, Wayne Dyer was saying that like the research is actually shows that when you, when you give, it increases, I believe it was serotonin in the person that receives, you know, that increases in them. It increases in you, the giver, but it also increases in someone that watches someone else do something, do a Ooh. favor for another person. So you will feel good once you start giving. And the more we do it, the more we see it, uh, the better we'll all be for it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so true, though, because it always warms your heart when you see someone else do something kind or, or serve someone else. That's awesome. Danielle, in the story of your whole life, this moment when you were 23 is kind of your defining moment. It was how you introduced yourself, you know, talking about that story. And it makes a lot of sense because it's now become the hub of your purpose, kind of the center of your life. It really was a defining moment. But as we were talking about before, kind of how we respond to life, it kind of determines our reality. And for you, yes, there was the physical aspect. Yes, it was de- debilitating. It took you out of the game, so to speak, for a while, but it also pivoted you in a different direction. So I can understand why it defines you. But I do want to dig in deeper out of every single moment that's happened across all of your years. Why is your story centered around this? How did this become the hub? Hmm. I think because so many lessons were packed within it. And if it hadn't happened, I never would have been forced to, to reflect, to try and learn those, like to learn the lessons. I think that like, I would have been happy, you know, like I said, I was thinking I was living the dream before my accident. Uh, So I think I would have been happy in life, but the level of happiness that I have now and the resiliency and the understanding I have and the empathy I have and compassion I have for other people. It's like my emotional intelligence went through the roof. You know, I think I learned about an entire another aspect of me and mm. like that, how profound is that? <laughs> you know, and it all stems from, from, from the accident. Now I, of course, had great teachers come into my world, like Kamini Desai, you know, I live in the place that I live now. And like, there's been so much since then that has brought more richness and more depth and, you know, more to me. And I feel like, I mean, I'm 34. I don't know where I'm going to be when I'm 44. Like I think about the last decade of my life and what's occurred. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) what's going to unfold after, you know, in this decade, because the last one has felt unreal and, you know, has, you need a telescope to go find the Danielle that was like in existence a decade ago. (laughs) And I just think if I keep on this path, like it's going to be wild. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that, but that, that, that's why it's that moment. And I have so much gratitude for it because it's like, man, if that hadn't happened, where in the world would I be? And what would I be doing? And how many people would be suffering? Because they wouldn't have been able to learn about a see, at least not through me. And, you know, I've been able to have a, a wide impact, not just on the people that, that I directly have touched, but the company as a whole. You know, I've been blessed to be on, on their stage. And actually the gentleman that introduced you and I, like, he got to know me because of a talk I gave at the last convention. And it's like, I have no idea the number of people that I've touched, you know, at a soul level, because I've stood 
in my voice more and I've, I've been on purpose more. And it's just like, there's something so fulfilling about that, that like, it's not tangible, you know, it's not an income. It's not a degree. (laughs) It's not all these things that I used to be going for in life. It's like, it feels good in my heart, you know, to know that, wow, like I can touch others and help them open up, you know, to these truths and just help them get through this struggle that life is for them. And it doesn't need to be a struggle. It's actually really beautiful. It sounds like there was you prior to this pivotal moment and then who you were after through the actual experience and through learning all these lessons. And when you look at those two identities, one is version 2.0 of the original one and one that you love a lot more and has brought more value to your life. And so is that kind of what allows you to really identify with that moment is because it's like, there's all this gratitude and and there's this whole mm-hmm. new identity. It's like a new tool belt that has allowed you to go and do these things and just be more deeply rooted in why you're here on this earth. So hold on to that way more than possibly what came before it. Is that an accurate description? It would be. And I like, I try to think of a good analogy. I always, analogies are the best. And I don't know, what's coming to my mind is almost like a snake shedding its skin because mm-hmm. the essence of me is the same right? This is, it's the same, but it's like a totally different skin, (laughs) you know, like who I am, how I show up, what I do, the way I think I mentioned before that, that ego death, it's like, yeah, everything that I identified as before and thought I was is gone, but my essence is the same and is still here. And that essence, like, it's interesting. My mom has always said, since I was born, she said, Danielle, you're like this little ball of light. And you always have been ever since you were a little infant. And in in this tradition and this lineage, you get a, a Sanskrit name. And when I was given my name and found out the meaning of it, it means Jyoti, which means the the light of the divine, the inner light, the light of consciousness. And like that's what he sees as my essence. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that how incredible that like that is the sense that people get from the day I came onto this earth, you know, the age that I am now. And that's what I mean by like, the essence is the same, but yeah, the skin is shedding and goodness knows there's going to be another shedding and another one and another one. And we'll see what continues to evolve. Yeah. Well, and, and really another analogy that, that is often used is just the onion, right? And at the core, you are that ball of light and then whatever has been piled on top, you know, you're shedding things to get closer to that essence. So I love that it is the same. It's always there. It always will be there. And you'll just continue to get closer and closer and amplify it more and more as you become even more brave and even stronger in displaying and and showing that light that is within you. And I so look forward to, to seeing that as well. I've only known you for a little short time here, but already so much is beautiful about your journey. And as you were saying, I can't wait to see what even just the next couple of years brings for you. So that being said, what is on on the docket for you? What's coming up for Danielle? Where is your focus? Well, interestingly, I actually, my teacher, Kamini Desai, she's coming here uh, to do a training next week. I pick her up from the airport uh, on Monday. And I'm studying more yoga therapy and learning how Eastern philosophy uh, looks at trauma and helps people come through it, which 
is really something that I want to move into more and help people with. You know, I've helped a lot over the last eight years with people's physical health. And then in my coaching with my team, right, I'm doing the mental, emotional stuff. But there is, to me, this is spiritual work. This is helping a soul be able to evolve and have an understanding and to move through some things that are really holding holding them back. And I think the Eastern philosophy on this is more gentle than I have found like the Western approach to be where in the West, we get more into the mind and we try and solve the problem by going back into the problem and, you know, reciting it, rehearsing it, talking about it, all this stuff, which can be (laughs) re-traumatizing for many. And I don't think it ever gets to the essence of it being gone. It's just like, it's still lingering there, but with a different lens looking at it. With yogic philosophy and with yoga therapy, it literally like their, their philosophy is that like the trauma, it's energy that just got blocked in your system. And because you couldn't handle it, or if it was too much, too soon, too fast, whatever it was. And that energy never went away. And but because you blocked it, it has just built in on itself and it's become an energy block and it lives in your body. And I think a lot of people can relate to like when you're stressed out, where do you feel it? You know, that's what the yogis would say, like that's that. And with yoga therapy, you just ask the body what it needs. And you don't get into the mind. You literally tell the mind to be quiet and the body will speak to you. It's like speaking to your subconscious. It's the most wild, far out thing for like (laughs) the experiences I have had in it as well. It's like energy has taken over my body for over 45 minutes where just these big releases were happening where my mind wasn't present. My body was doing things that I was not controlling and it was releasing, you know, this where the trauma was living in me. And I just, after having my own experiences and, you know, reading about it and learning the philosophy, I just think this is a gift I'm also meant to give. I'm feeling the same way about this as I did when the Sea Redox came into my life. So we'll see what shape that takes. I don't know if it's private classes or I have no idea <laughs> what's going to unfold, but it's, it's definitely, I think, what's on the horizon. And I love too, that you just have that affirmation that you have that recognition of, ooh, a past defining moment feels very similar to this one. So this mm-hmm. is probably another defining moment. Let me lean into this. That's awesome. So when we're thinking about growing through our traumas, not only having the healing of the body for whatever trauma was caused to the body, but also allowing those emotions and that energy to move through the body, what are some things that people can tangibly do as they're trying to heal and then grow from that trauma? be with it. I think the the way that the yogis look at it, and I think my own experience has shown, is that a lot of these things in our life are asking to be seen. They're asking to be, they just need attention. Like the yogic philosophy is just like, it's just wanting to be acknowledged, you know, and it's screaming at you. Like the pain in your body is literally screaming at you and you're ignoring it because we don't like to feel bad. It's that whole duality thing I was talking about before with the yin yang. Pain is like, you know, the dark side. If you were just with it, it's almost like when you feel that you need to cry and you kind of try and stuff it down and then you like your throat hurts and like, you know, you're like, oh, but if when you just cry, everything feels better. It's the same thing here. Like this is just energy wanting to flow through. So allow yourself to be with the pain. Ask, what is it that you need? Respect what the body is asking, you know, give it, give it the time. I think uh, a lot of times it's helpful to have, you know, a a therapist uh, or someone there to hold space for you doesn't even need to really be a certified person because it's easier to kind of have a sounding board. But that's what I would say. And make space to just be in your life. 
Uh, There is way too much go, go, go in our society. And it's causing the anxiety. It's causing the depression. It's causing all of the craziness. You're not going to find the answers out there. What I would say is make the space for you to just be. All the answers are right sitting inside of you, like waving, saying, hey, (laughs) waiting for you to come and take a look. I think Patanjali, he wrote in the Yoga Sutras, like the practice of yoga starts now. And so many people kind of like breeze through that line. But my teacher Kamini says, like, I think this is so beautiful that he says, basically, like you've spent your whole life looking for answers outside. And now you're ready to do the inner work and the inner reflection, realizing that everywhere I looked, the answer is not. And so the only place I haven't looked is within. And that is the study of yoga. And he says, and now, you know, the practice of yoga begins. And I just think that's, that's beautiful. And that would be my recommendation to people. Thank you for sharing that. I think it is funny how we will always be with ourselves from the day that we were born until the day that we die. And yet it is the last place that we look for answers. I'm just like, oh, what are we doing? But of course we all do that. That's all part of the human experience. I know it's wild. It's like, it's funny. This is what I love about like Guru Dev. He laughs at it. He like, literally he'll like say something. He laughs. He's like, once you realize it, you see how crazy, you know, we are as people and we are as humans. Like why in the world are we doing that to ourselves? You know, and we let our own mind like beat us up and it's like, just stop. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's so simple to say, but I know going through it, it does take a long time and it can be hard to do. So just know that if you're going through that experience, like we are here with you. Um, and Danielle has a bunch of resources for people. You've got an, an ebook just to start off. You also have some meditations. Talk us through what are some resources um, that you have for folks? Yeah, I'd say reach out. So first of all, my social media is always, I just want to be a beacon of light out there. So I'm always talking about things that we discussed today and going more in depth and sharing stories. So if you kind of need that touch point, make sure to connect with me on there, reach out to me privately. I'm happy to help in all the ways that I can. If you go to my Instagram profile, I've got, which is just my name, it's just Danielle Matthews with an underscore at either end, but I've got my ebook there called mind control. It's all in your head. It's a free download. And it's like the, the nuggets of the steps I went through to kind of move through what my mind was telling me and to to kind of master that state. And then I've got yoga nidras on there, guided meditations. So you can listen to them, find that peace beyond your thoughts and lots of information about the redox, of course, for people that are needing that for their physical health or people that are looking to, you know, want to step out and do something different and try on, you know, what it feels like to be an entrepreneur, to, to have more purpose in your work. My door is always open for coaching and training and mentoring in that aspect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So lots of good stuff to check out there. Hopefully folks will find you on Instagram underscore Danielle Matthews underscore. As we wrap up here, anything that you want to leave with listeners? The question that I always tell people is to have in your mind is what is this challenge making possible? And I think when you put that lens onto anything that's in front of you and you look at it as like this obstacle, this challenge is actually a gift from the divine trying to teach me something. What is it making possible? What could I possibly be learning from this? It will change uh, everything for you. And that is, that's what I'll leave you with. Yeah, that's awesome. Such a good question. And if folks are having a hard time figuring that out, obviously they can reach out to Danielle. You can reach out to myself as well. Sometimes you just need a listening ear, you know, a friend to just say, Hey, what do you think 
I need to learn from this because oftentimes people can see our lives so much better than we can. And they're like, well, obviously, don't you realize like this is what's what it's trying to teach you? So just ask a friend. But Daniel Matthews, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This has been such a pleasure for me. Awesome. And to everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us as well. This is the Opportunity Made Show. You can subscribe, like, add your review on whatever platform you're listening on um, and follow us on social media at Opportunity Made. If you took something away from this podcast and it has changed your life, we would love to hear your story about us. So go ahead and just drop a comment or a DM on social media and um, we look forward to reading your stories. In the meantime, serve widely, give greatly, and take care, y'all.